morning. Today is the uh, uh, beginning of a ser- sermon series, as uh, Julie said, all about um, the Jesus lifestyle. What did Jesus say about the central issues of life? And uh, Matthew chapter 5, uh, otherwise known as the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus speaks to people, was, uh, it is in a sense a, a recipe for uh, what Jesus spoke about in terms of lifestyle. How should we aim to live our lives? What should be our focus? And in a sense, this, um, uh, the series could, could be renamed The Ultimate Challenge. Now, I don't know whether, what, what the ultimate challenge has been in your life so far, or uh, my brother does this thing called the Iron Man Challenge. You know, it's not a film. That's um, where they trek, trek across, you know, mountains and fields and through rivers and, you know, over about two days. And uh, he comes back absolutely wrecked. Or there's somebody in the church called Colin, actually, who does a similar thing where they, they ride for like a thousand miles and then they run forever and then they swim, you know, across the channel. Or, you know, just, just incredibly um, kind of mad things. And uh, in a sense, those would be, I suppose, what we might consider the ultimate challenge. But Jesus was very focused on, on, in this teaching on, uh, on giving the ultimate challenge for how people should best live their lives. And um, somebody said to me once, you know, if the Christian life is not challenging you, then maybe you're not going about it the right way. If the Christian life is not challenging you, maybe you're not going about it the right way. If there isn't something in your life that scares you about following God, then maybe something is missing. You just have to ask Janice about whether she was slightly terrified about doing the street pastors thing or going out on the streets and talking to people. It is a challenge, isn't it, these things? As you share your faith with somebody, it's, it's worrying, what am I going to say? As you pray for somebody for the first time, as the guys, go out to, the, the guys are going out to Uganda in a, a couple of days' time, we're going to be praying for them in a bit. You know, as they go out and they talk about their faith, as they meet Ugandan Christians and people who, in Uganda who aren't yet Christians, it's going to be a challenge. If you're not, if there's something about the Christian life doesn't challenge you, then maybe you're not doing it the right way. Jesus, it says in uh, verse 1 of chapter 5, he said, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. Now you and I, when we go up on a mountainside and we sit down, we probably sit down and have a picnic or sit down and sunbathe or whatever. In, in Jesus' time, when a rabbi sat down, it was, the, it was the sign that, that a sermon was about to begin. Whereas for us, when somebody stands up, you all go, a sermon is about to start. And uh, some of you look, look happy about that. Some of you gently nod off and, you know, that's fine. I don't worry about that at all. But uh, in Jesus' day, when, when a rabbi stood, uh, sat down, everybody went, okay, right, here comes, here comes some key teaching. So Jesus up on the mountainside, then he sits down and he begins to teach and he talks to them about being blessed people. So this morning there is a four-step program on happiness because there seems to be a drive towards the desire for happiness in our culture. Whether you uh, look, look at celebrities, you know, Tom Cruise, or whether you listen to Jesse J. Um, there is this drive for happiness. We should be happy. It's, our, it's a natural inclination, I think. 
And when you ask people, what is their focus for life? What would you like? Well, above everything else, I just want them to be happy, people will say. And yet often that quest for happiness falls short, doesn't quite work. We don't quite get there. We strive happiness in the wrong direction. We look for more money or more fame or more relationships. We kind of stop short of the ultimate happiness. And it's that that we want to focus on this morning. As Jesus begins his teaching, as he sits down and says, blessed are. And uh, Billy Graham called this passage uh, a passage about the eight beautiful attitudes, or the Beatitudes, as we know them in full. And nine times in these, in these first 11 verses of chapter 5, Jesus uses the words, blessed are. And you can imagine people listening to this for the first time would have had an idea of what it means to be blessed. Maybe just a bit like we do, possibly. So the, the word that's used in the translation here is the Greek word makarios, and it literally means, or, or they would have thought it meant, if you were blessed, you were like a god. Only the gods were blessed in, in Roman history. The gods were the people who were the blessed ones. Jesus uses the same word. He says, blessed are. The blessed ones were the gods who were removed from the problems of the world, were removed from the pressures of life. And they heard Jesus starting with, blessed are. They thought, okay, here comes some teaching about the gods, maybe. Or it referred to the dead. People described people who were dead as blessed. That seems a slight contradiction in terms, doesn't it? But if you were blessed, if you were dead, you were blessed because you uh, were lifted out from life and you were taken straight to that eternal perspective. You've reached, in a sense, the other world of the other gods who were blessed. Or, when people heard this, they would have thought, blessed, ah, he means, he means the elite people, the upper crust, the posh, the wealthy. To be blessed, you had to be rich or powerful in Jesus' day. Or in Old Testament terms, blessed, being blessed was a sign of God's um, uh, um, provision over you. I'm rich, I've got money, God must be blessing me. Actually, you find some of that teaching still lingering. Old Testament blessing of wealth lurking in churches across the world. And uh, I would have serious questions about any teaching that says, if you become a Christian, God will give you loads of money. Because you look at Jesus and the life of the disciples, and actually it didn't seem to work out that way for most of them. So Jesus is there. He's sitting down. He's starting with the words that would have been familiar, blessed they would have been thinking, does he mean we're going to be gods? Does he mean we're going to be rich? Does he mean we're going to be dead? And Jesus, the author of the upside-down kingdom, gives an alternative understanding to what blessing is all about. They're beginning to understand, how can I, as a person, live under God's blessing? And that's what we want to think about this morning. How can I be a person who lives under God's blessing? And Jesus says these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And right at the outset, Jesus is talking to people about uh, the opposite, the other side of spiritual pride. How wonderful am I? How great am I? How good am I? Jesus seems to say it from a different angle. He says, actually, 
Blessed are the people who know exactly who they are. Those who don't start from a perspective of, I have led such a wonderful and good life. Do you remember the story in Luke 18? When Jesus tells the story of the parable of the the Pharisee and the tax collector. Do you remember that? And uh, he's... I hear music. Come on, somebody's got their mobile phone on. It might be me, actually. I did that once in a church. I was speaking, and the mobile, this mobile phone went off. And I said, who's got their mobile phone turned on? And I realized it was in my pocket. <laughs> and it was ringing away. So I picked it up, and I said, hello, Lord. Yes, no, I'm really, I'm really sorry, Lord. It is me. I was, <laughs> Luke 18, anyway. Um, Jesus said uh, about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector and he said to those who are confident of their own righteousness he says two people go up one who's there um, in the temple who says you know I thank you Lord that I am not like other people the dreadful sinners and the horrible people I thank you Lord I am not like that the people coming out of the nightclubs and the people who have drunk too much and the people who have being slightly naughty in their life. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that. You find that attitude quite a lot in church. These, I'm not here necessarily, but you know, generally, I thank you that we're not like those, those, those horrible people. And, um, uh, but then another person comes up to the temple and beats their chest and says, you know, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I've messed up. And Jesus says, I tell you, it's this man rather than the other one who was justified. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus' upside-down kingdom coming into play again. Blessed are the poor in spirit who realize who they are and recognize that we need a saviour. If you've ever been in church and thought, you know, I just don't feel good enough. Actually, that's not a bad place to start. And I think for people who are Christians, uh, we should all come with that attitude actually even if we've been Christian for five minutes or 50 years actually Lord I'm I mess up I, I fall short I'm still not good enough the Lord says that's exactly the point because I'm the one who is the righteous one we all fall so step one blessed are those who are poor in spirit who realize what we're like and recognize we need an answer step two Jesus said this in verse four blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. This seems such a paradox, doesn't it? Happy are the unhappy. Are you absolutely sure, Jesus, that you've got this one right? Happy are the unhappy. And there seem to be two extremes in Christian circles when it comes to thinking about happiness. The first is this, you should never be happy. And to be honest, I visit many churches You could have this as their mantra over their church door as you go in. You know, you should never be happy. All right. Now, we've been, the Anglican church has been really good at that over the years, and it hasn't always led to full churches, let's be honest. You should never be happy. The second is, you will never be unhappy. And uh, particularly in streams of church uh, coming from the States, particularly, I think, you know, if you become a Christian, you'll never be unhappy. And we know that that's not true, because actually in life it throws all kinds of difficulties at you, pain and distractions and just the circumstances of life mean that we are from time to time desperate. 
And Ecclesiastes, the writer from Ecclesiastes, kind of got it right when he, when he, he or she wrote, a time, there is in life a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. We know that life can be up and it can be down. But do you know that's not the meaning here in this verse? We often use this verse in, in funerals, actually. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I think it's, we know that it's true that God comforts us as we grieve. But this is not Jesus' meaning in this particular uh, section. He's saying, blessed are you uh, because you mourn your spiritual poverty. Jesus, when he looked at Jerusalem one day, wept because of the lack of righteousness and righteous people. And that's the sense that we've got here in this little verse. Blessed are you, for you uh, mourn your spiritual poverty. And for me, in terms of my own worshipping life, you know, I'm often at that place when I'm in church worshipping, wanting more, actually. Mourning my spiritual poverty. I don't, I'm not close, I want to be closer to Jesus. I want to follow him close. I want to be more effective. I want to live for him. I want transformation in my life. There's that sense of mourning spiritual poverty. We don't have all the answers. We don't know enough. We want more of God in our lives. And Jesus promised to pour out his Holy Spirit, who is described in John's Gospel as the comforter, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside to comfort he promised to pour his Holy Spirit into our lives. And when he does that, actually, I find that the, the spiritual hunger starts to grow in me. Not being in church satisfied with where I've got to in my life. They say, Do you know, I've been a Christian now for close to 30 years, and that's good enough for me, and it's good enough for the Lord. Actually, no, there's always more. Step three, and there are only four. Jesus said this, he said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And in this, uh, again, as Jesus spoke, he's not talking about blessed is the doormat. Blessed is the the person who thinks they're rubbish and uh, is just happy for people to tread on them. Jesus isn't saying that. He's actually conveying strength in this. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And Again, the word that's used here is uh, the word which means broken, like a horse. I don't know whether whether any of you have ever had to break a horse. I don't know whether anybody's that good a rider here. Has anybody had to do that? Uh, You what? You help somebody do it. It's it's um it's not e. Yes don't fall off the horse because it will stand on you good (laughs) um i've never done i've never done it you know kind of trying to break jump on a a wild horse and try and break it i've seen people do it in films looks easy (laughs) in films but i've never had a go myself but that's the that's the word that's being used here it means to be to be kind of broken it's strength under submission i'm always amazed when you see people riding horses 
and over the Queen's Jubilee, you know, you see lots of people in uniforms riding horses, these massive, strong horses. Uh, and, the, and that description of um, uh, meekness as uh, strength under submission. A horse is meek when it's been broken, and you see it, the strength of this thing, but it's under the submission of a rider. That's what that's all about in this verse. It's about blessed is the person who has strength under submission to God. I love the description of Moses in Numbers 12. It simply says this about Moses. It says, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. I don't know how they did that. You know, how, how did they know that? Uh, X factor for humility. Uh, you know, Britain's got humility. You know, how did they go about knowing that? But of Moses, they said he was a humble person. And we have a true view of ourselves when actually we live our lives in humility. Although our natural inclinations might be to promote ourselves or to preserve ourselves, actually we are caused to a life of the undefended soul, to have our lives open before other people and ultimately before God, and to live our lives with strength under submission. I love that about the key leaders. You think about people like Martin Luther King or Nelson Mandela, or here in our country at the moment, Aung San Suu Kyi from Burma strength under submission they have a recognition of who they truly are and actually they have a humility about them that is powerful the earth is at their feet because of humility and Jesus is saying exactly that here blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth and then step four the last one Jesus said blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be Filled In a world that is desperate for satisfaction. What a powerful verse. Hunger and thirst for what? For more uh, going out? For more staying in? For more TV? For more work? For more money? Jesus said, no, blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. That means to be desperate, to be in a, re- a right relationship with God. That's what life is actually all about. I'd be surprised when the guys come back from Uganda if they don't tell stories of, wow, these people seem to have next to nothing but were filled with joy. And I talked with um, Patricia, who was in Zimbabwe uh, the other day in the coffee shop. And she was saying exactly that. You know, the folks we met in Zimbabwe, she said, they seem to have next to nothing, but they were filled with joy. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul put it like this. He said, God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of of God. When we get friendly with Jesus, when we invite him into the center of our lives, we get to be counted as righteous. We're counted in. We have a right relationship with God that then enables us to have a right relationship with other people. 
And my prayer is often this, you know, Lord, make me holy, but not yet. And it seems to be what a pointless thing to say. It's my natural inclination, Lord, make me holy. But before we do that thing, Lord, of make, could, if I'm just going to nip off and do something else, you know, or, or when I'm, you know, when I mess up again, Lord, make me holy, but not yet. And to be honest, you know, sin is fun. That's kind of built into the name. You know, it's, it's why we're drawn towards disobedience often. We are called to be those that are filled up with the Lord. And filled, the word that Jesus used, literally means satisfied. It's like when you have a meal that's really lovely and it fills you up and you're satisfied. Uh, that's what this word means. When you are filled, it means I'm satisfied. I don't need to look anywhere else, do anything else, go anywhere else. I am satisfied. And so as we go on to the next section, we're going to pray in a little bit and pray for the guys from Uganda as well. There is this sense in this passage of uh, these words, Jesus, I'm for you. But in between I'm for you is I'm desperate. I'm hungry. I'm longing for you. I hope this morning that for each of us we'll be in that place, recognizing that we don't know everything, that we don't know the Lord in every area of our lives, that we aren't obedient as much as we'd like to be or want to be, but we want to be those who will be hungry and desperate for more. There is always more. And uh, God calls us to be a people who will be crying out to him, recognizing that we're weak, but wanting more of him in our lives. So why don't we, what are we going to do next? Are we going to pray for Uganda guys now? Shall we get them up?